All right, we got some wind out here. I'm super excited. I'm gonna leave that in as our intro because it was so perfect. Dr. Jamil Sayedge is with me here. We're outside a coffee shop in good old Arizona. Thank you for coming on, bud. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, Anthony. Really happy to be here. With that you was all. awesome. I really, I mean, I did not, we did not set that up. You might need to add that to the intro of all I might, stuff. I might have to now. I might have to reach out to that guy, but can you drive by every single day? Because I tried to do it daily. It would be really nice if you'd show up. I think he looked at us too, man. I he did. He really did. I looked back at him. He's like, I got you. I'm like, I appreciate you, sir. You are the one that I need. Maybe that was God right there. Who knows? Yeah. We were talking a little bit before. We were going deep into religion just now. Yeah. And we were going deep into self-identity. I wanted to stop it because... We actually need to put some of this on content. You know, this will be about five to ten minutes, maybe fifteen, for anyone that's listening in the car, for anyone that's trying to do uh, a morning routine. I know a lot of you do this with your morning routine. I appreciate that. We'll get first into who Dr. Jamil is, what he does, and then we'll kind of start a conversation from there. So that way, you guys have some context about you know, why we're talking about these certain things. So, Jamil, if you want to give your, you know, thirty-second, couple-minute, who are you and what do you do? At least on this planet. Absolutely. <laughs> In this dimension. In this yeah. dimension. Yeah, man. So, again, thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. My name is Dr. Jamil Sayaj. I'm a licensed naturopathic physician here in the state of Arizona. And I'm also a transformation coach. And I coach leaders and high performers to eliminate regret. For the last 14 years, it has been my biggest passion, my mission, my purpose to wake people up to who they really are and to end suffering for as many people as I possibly can. Nice. And that's been something that lights me up more than anything else. It's something that when I get to talk about it, when I get to help somebody really change the whole course that their life is going, that direction, back into alignment with where they want it to yeah. go, it's the greatest feeling in the world. I like that, that's especially you made that point. And I've realized this over the last, I think we've even spoke a few times on the podcast already about this, but it's not so much that when you make a choice or when you're doing something maybe in a job you don't like or you're in a position in life that you don't want to be in it's not so much that you can't that you're on a completely different path it's almost more of like there's a bunch of parallel lines mm -hmm. and you can choose what road to be on and it's not so much about having to do a drastic change but it's more of a trying to get back in line with what you feel is true to yourself yeah and I think a lot of people kind of go a little like kind of stray from that and saying Oh, I'm already here. I have to do this. I'm stuck here. Yeah. So when you talk about regrets, what do you like regret mentally? Regret, you know, how they made life choices. What exactly do you really get into on the regret side? Yeah. So if if you don't mind, can I give a little backstory of where that came from? Yes. Yeah. So when I about 11 years ago, no, is it about 10 years ago? Yeah. So I was 19 years old, and I was in my second year of college, and. New York, in New York, Fordham University, if anyone's been there. Yeah. And I, my father had a brain aneurysm. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, just imagine one of the blood vessels in the brain starts to balloon out. If you're fortunate, you'll get the worst headache of your life. You go get it clipped in the hospital and you're good to go. Yeah. My father wasn't one of those people. It ruptured. Um. And so he was in a four hour brain surgery. The neurosurgeon said he came as close to dying as he possibly could. Yeah. But he survived. He was in a coma. And I walk into this room after his operation, and this was a guy, he was a physician himself, and he was also an Elvis impersonator. And, and he was top three in the world. And music was his biggest passion. Yeah. And he would say, you know, my colleagues have golf, I have Elvis. <laughs> and that's what he would do. Yeah. And you know, so the hair was a big thing, and he had so much energy. Yeah. And now I walk into this room in the hospital, his head is shaven, a part of his skull was removed because the pressure in the brain was yeah, building up. Yeah. 
he looked like a train hit him. Wires coming out everywhere. And I felt, on the one hand, helpless because I couldn't do anything to yeah. help him. And I also felt this immediate, deep sense of regret because even though like I love my dad, he loved me, we didn't have this relationship where we spent that much time together. Yeah. I'm at school, he's at work. I yeah. was fortunate we'd have dinner together. But then after that, like he goes downstairs, I go upstairs, we're both doing our own thing. Yeah. And so we weren't really that connected in that way. Yeah. And now there I am watching him feeling like I'm never gonna have that chance again. Yeah. And just getting filled up with shoulda, woulda, couldas kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, I was very blessed that he was in a coma for a few months, but he was alive for the next three years. And we helped him make almost a full recovery. Yeah. And he was the miracle child of the hospital because he defied the odds yeah. greatly. And the thing was, I learned so much about life and about myself over those three years, where for the first year and a half, every night I went to bed wondering, was that the last time I'm gonna see my dad? Yeah. And every morning I woke up wondering if that was all a dream. Yeah. And so it's kind of this living in like hell kind of thing. Yeah. But it also was heaven in the sense that I was spending 10 to 16 hours a day with him. Yeah. So I got my, my wish or my prayer granted, yeah. let's say, and he became my best friend. Nice. And I got this chance every single day knowing that I may not have tomorrow yeah. to really be, with, be there with him as present as I could. And when he passed away three years later, his wake had over 7,000 people out there over the course of a five-hour period. Open casket, I was right next to the casket. He had the aneurysm at 49, passed at 53. Yeah. And almost everyone who shook my hand told me, your dad saved my life. Crazy. And I got to see people from different cultures, religions, praying over the casket. And I saw the impact this man had, and I saw that I had been playing small my whole life, yeah. and that I was shy, and that I had so much more to give that I wasn't doing. Yeah. And I made a commitment on that day, never again, no more, that I was going to step into my power, into my greatness that we all have in our own yeah. unique way so that I could help and serve people and, you know, live my best life. Yeah. And it's been almost 10 years since that day. And I'm happy to say that the life I'm living now is the dream that I wanted to live. Nice. Then. And that's funny because for this, the very, for me, all of this that I do, it's not because I had some crazy exposure that way. Like I was telling you before we started, they'll be like, I'll talk more about it in the future about how I got to this point. But to me, it's the same idea of I was probably playing small and I had something to give. And it was when people start, you know, shedding light on it. I went to life coach start realizing, oh, okay. And I start helping people in my way in the management consulting. So between Dr. Jamil and I, we do something slightly different, but it's somewhat the same. I do a little more focus on like maybe like a uh, evaluation form strategy on how to get someone to work better in a company he's more of a how to set the right mindset if I get it right so yeah so to answer the original question that now that I've given the backstory yeah when I'm working with someone I look at a few different areas yeah there's the medical background of it so I'll look at their health yeah but then there's the relationship component relationship yeah. with themselves first and foremost and then yeah. the relationship with their intimate partner and then what I call their inner circle yeah their friends and family their acquaintances the people they're surrounding they themselves actually with. Change them as yeah. Person, yeah and then there's like the, the success component of it which is going to be different for each individual yeah how they define success right so it's like, what do you want? And getting really clear on that in your health, in your relationships, in your business. Yeah. What do you want out of life? And then it's, why aren't you doing it now? Why don't you have it? And almost always, you are the thing holding you back. Yeah. You know, I like to think of it as this idea, you are the greatest problem you'll ever have, yeah. but you'll also, you're also the greatest solution. And when we recognize that, and we can get out of our own way, 
usually with help or if we can do it on our own, whatever it is, we get out of our own way. We realize that we're not afraid of the thing. We're afraid of our thinking about the thing. Yes. You know, I think we've all experienced at some point in our life, we do the thing that we're afraid to do. And it was nowhere near as bad as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. (laughs) And so just helping people to, I want someone to get to a point where regardless of when their life ends, at the end of their life, they look back and they say, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I want, let's go a little deeper on a part there that I love that you said, and something that a lot of people have a problem with, where they think people are watching them make mistakes. Yeah. Go, just you know, give me your little, your feel, your throw on that. Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. So it, everyone, for the most part, in general, cares a lot about what other people think. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this idea that we think that everyone is paying attention to us, thinking about us, watching us, yeah. not realizing that there's almost 8 billion people on the planet and everyone, you know, it's been said, everyone's favorite subject is themselves. Yeah. Right. So this idea that while you're sitting there worried about what other people are thinking, that they care that you didn't shave today, that you're dressed in a certain way, that what if you say something and you mess up and you look dumb, they're wondering the same thing about themselves. Yeah. And they're afraid <laughs> that you're yeah. gonna judge them. Yeah. And so to me, I noticed that I used to care a lot about what other people thought. Yeah. And when I think about what if other people judge me on this, yeah. then I don't do it, and then I'm not being authentic, yeah. and I'm not in alignment, and then I end up regretting it later, yeah. because then maybe it would, it, that person becomes a friend. And I, and I ask them, you know, this is something I really love to do, and I haven't been doing it because I've been afraid of what people thought. I was afraid of what you thought. And yeah. he's like, really? You know, I thought you were this like really confident person and like I didn't know that you had that kind of insecurity yeah. and that, you know, I thought that you were gonna judge me. Yeah. And then I realized that, that fear in my mind was completely, you know, unvalidated. Yeah. There was no reason I really needed to have it. Yeah. And that, you know, again, we hold ourselves back. Yeah. And when we can drop that Well and and part of it is like so to, you know, tail off a little bit, when you talk about more to give, for me it was the same thing. When I felt that I had more to give like a lot of those things seem to dash away because the power of giving is just, it's its so powerful. Immensely. And that, I think it's even stronger than your like misperceptions of what people are watching. And that's why I think where you were able to jump big, like, oh, you realize I've got so much more to give. It really doesn't matter what they think. I'm here yeah. to help as many people as possible. Yeah. So. That idea of, to me, the best thing I could give anybody yeah. is themselves. Yeah. And if I can give you yourself, meaning you haven't been living a life authentic to you. Yeah. You know, you've been a copy of somebody else. You've been wearing a mask, let's say, most of your life because yeah. when you were six, you asked the question unconsciously, who do I need to be for you to love me? Yeah. And when you've been living this life not being really yourself, yeah. and I can connect you back to what's real, and now the rest of your life is honestly the best of your life. Yeah. That is just... That that makes me emotional when I think about that. Yeah. That is why I do what I do. When I can give someone that gift and they give it to themselves, nice. it's the greatest thing in the world. Awesome. Well, that's like I'm gonna we'll tail off there. Uh, the goal is to have you on about once every month or so, maybe every other month, depends on our schedules. Absolutely. To do like little checkups, all that stuff. You know, we'll do certain topics. Uh, on Twitter, YouTube, podcast, any. If you guys have any questions you want to answer next time or go deep into some certain topic. Let me know. I'll give it to Dr. Jamil, and we'll actually we'll do a little bit of pre-script writing because I'm so impromptu that I don't usually do that, but I would love to answer direct questions. Once again, this is the Anthony S. Dr. Jamil, thank you for coming on, and I'm looking forward to 
the future talks. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Likewise. Awesome. Now I need to go and pause it. Luckily enough, I can just kind of like...